0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Notwithstanding the fact that uh, the Olympics are coming up in about three weeks in uh, Beijing and uh, the Canadian delegation, according to our last guest, Katrina LaMaidon, are very excited about this and and laser focused on on what they need to do over there. There is a political element to this and uh, they may see a lot more of that than they may want to see once they get over to Beijing uh, because there's a lot of stuff going on right now between Canada and the Chinese government. Uh, Global Affairs is now proposing a multi-billion dollar Indo-Pacific strategy that's going to shift Canada's reliance away from China by diversifying trade and investment with Asia. Uh, Some are suggesting this is a smart idea, something that we should have done a long time ago. Others are saying, well, it's really kind of a smack in the face to China for what they've been doing to us lately with the two Michaels and uh, some of the other uh, things that they've been doing vis-a-vis trade. Uh, to try to suck this all out, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper. Elliot, of course, is a distinguished senior fellow with the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Elliot, it's been a while. Thanks so much for joining us. it uh, great to have you back on the show today.
1: Thank you. Great to be back with you, Bill.
0: Listen, before we get into the uh, economics and the politics of this, uh, our our conversation just before you joined us here with uh, the great Katrina Don, of course, Mm -hmm. who's the chef de mission for the Canadian contingent, uh, and she talked about trying to stay laser focused on uh, what the athletes need to do here. Uh, once they get over there in their training and, of course, in their performance. Uh, Beijing is a different animal. This is not uh, like Nagano. This is not like any other places where Olympic Games are held. Uh, what, what's in store for these athletes, and, and what are they going to see over there? Is the, does the Chinese government just back off and, and actually do they follow their own advice to say this is all about athletics and not politics, or is politics going to permeate what goes on over there?
1: Well, politics permeates everything. <laughs> uh it's great to be a political scientist (laughs) the uh uh, the bubble that's been created around the olympics is designed specifically to keep everybody safe uh, the athletes and everybody around the uh, olympics uh, olympics themselves but meanwhile of course the country is having to deal as you know everybody else is around the world the omicron virus so the um The very first thing that's important is to keep everybody safe. The second is for China to successfully, successfully host yet another Olympics. Remember, it was only eight years before, you know, they they had an Olympics. And then eight years later, they said, okay, we'll we'll do another one, because apparently nobody else wanted to bid on this expensive process. So there's a lot of going on. In terms of the politics of it, um, we wish our athletes well and good health while they're at it. It is important for Xi Jinping's uh, legitimacy as he approaches his uh, big-ticket item. Uh, The big-ticket item for him is to show the world that we can do this and we can handle Omicron and we can pull all this off. But uh, he is really aiming for the continued uh, legitimacy of himself and his party as he approaches next year uh, the crucial, much more important, much more um, significant for him Event, which is his installment for an unprecedented third term as leader of China. This is going against the norm, so uh, this is an important matter. The fact that we're not sending diplomats uh, is a minor annoyance to them, and uh, Macron, as you know, France's leader, said it's insignificant. But uh, they do need a successful Olympics. But even more importantly, they uh, don't—they don't want anything to rock the boat leading up to Xi Jinping's installment for basically, you know, leader for life.
0: Well, there's that element to it. And, and, I guess there's a, a dual message here. First of all, I, I get the sense that they want to show the world that, Hey, we're not the thugs that some people say that we are, even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, uh, with the Uyghurs and a number of other things. And, you know, the incarceration of, well, still what hundred Canadians. They're still incarcerated in, uh, in Chinese camps or prisons or whatever the case might be, but they want, they're trying to put a different face on China. And, and at the same time, as you and I've talked about in previous conversations, they're trying to flex their muscle in that part of the world right now too. And, 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 and that's all about perception, too, isn't it?
1: Yes. They, uh, they want to stand forth as the undisputed uh, leader of the superpower within their region and a putative global emerging superpower, which by 2050, 2049, actually, they hope to be the foremost country in the world, resuming after their period of humiliation now a period of rejuvenation. The Olympics Olympics uh, presentation is part of the demonstrating to the world their rejuvenation. But they've, of course, been taking very specific issues and actions around South China Sea, the East China Sea, basically saying this really all belongs to us and we're going to set the rules. And that's what this new Indo-Pacific strategy coming out of Canada, but also uh, already out of the EU and all uh, NATO, and we're waiting for... Uh, comprehensive strategy out of the US, which may be why we're delaying a bit. But uh, what to do about an emerging China is one of the big questions now. The Olympics factors in, but it's, it's a, a momentary factor. The big broad picture is an emerging um, power. They're already a superpower. Uh, how are they going to behave and what can the rest of the world do about that?
0: Two elements about that, and let's go right back. Words matter in in politics, as, as they do in so many other facets, uh, Elliot. Indo-Pacific strategy. Yes. Uh, it's not China-centric. And, and for many, many years, we got the impression that it was going to be uh, because of the emerging economy, and we need to, to develop ties with this. I don't know that they're turning their backs on China, but are they trying to send a message to China that, hey, we don't need you. I mean, we can spread our wings in other places, uh, in the uh, other countries. I mean, there's a number of smaller countries uh, that they've already started to set up trade deals with here, too. Right. Is, it, is, it, is it a message here to send to China that, you know, you're, you may be the big dog, but you don't control everything?
1: Initially, the term comes in modern times from the year 2007 when the Japanese Prime Minister Abe went to New Delhi and went before their parliament and said, we need an Indo-Pacific, India on one side of China, and Japan on the other, Uh, the meeting of the two seas. uh, Basically, it was a statement right there that we're going to change the dynamics of the region by major powers straddling China working together, and out of that has come other things, the other initiatives, the quadrilateral uh, strategic dialogue, which Canada is not part of but we can maybe fit into, And that involves Australia and the U.S. as well as Japan and India, and also the uh, AUKUS. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. There's an emerging infrastructure dealing with the emergence of China that is coming, I think, rather late in the day, and this formulation now of an Indo-Pacific strategy changing from Asia-Pacific. Canada can say, uh, in regard to what we're doing, we're not anti-China, we are pro-Asia and and that in my opinion as a lifetime professor of Asian studies it's it's what i've been preaching for a very long time not preaching but teaching uh, i don't i don't preach but uh, i've been teaching for a long time that asia is coming we'd better all get ready for it and now with this uh, announcement about to happen in canada we are far more ready than we used to be
0: But to your point about the Chinese extending their their influence, and and I guess you're referencing the the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, a very controversial project, uh, pouring about, uh, they say, about a trillion dollars into building railways, ports, and pipelines uh, from Asia to Africa. Uh, You know, in the old days, if you wanted to, to take hold of a country, you'd send the troops in there. Now you don't do it. You do it through their economy. Uh, you may recall, I think you and I had this discussion last summer, I mean, or September, rather, uh, when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan and we right. saw the, the terrible situations that resulted. Apparently, China was one of the first governments to call the new Afghanistan government and said, hey, guys, we can help. Right. Uh, they, they'd they like to get a foothold in there economically. We can help you rebuild. Here's some money uh, to go and build some infrastructure. Uh, and, of course, you know, you develop an economic tie with that. That seems to be part of their strategy now, doesn't it?
1: Yes, indeed. It's a, it's an overt part of their strategy. And, of course, right next door is Pakistan, and that's a yeah. a key element in their Belt and Road strategy. They have a special corridor there just for that. You know, it's a special component within the Belt and Road. And, and it's also, by the way, a, a cyber Belt and Road. All routers lead to China as well. They plan to dominate the economy of the future, and they plan to set the rules in their region the Belt and Road Initiative is a key element of that, and of course, everybody's now discovering there's cost to it. Uh, you can end up losing control of Europe, the ports that they finance,
0: mm-hmm. which has
1: happened in Sri Lanka, which is happening to a degree in Pakistan, and they're fighting back against that. And there's a lot of problems emerging with the Belt and Road, but the Ma- and there's a pushback now, and it's part of Canada's new strategy as well. The United States, very belatedly, uh, is trying to rally global opinion and global uh, money to have an alternative to the way that China expands and have their own infrastructure program and part of the new program apparently about to be announced puts money into to that counter belt and road strategy
0: and and that's it's going to be interesting to see just how that develops over the next little while and the impact that it's going to have. But as as we've seen for the last number of years in particular, Elliot, uh, when you push China or they perceive that you're trying to push them, uh, they push back. And the two Michaels, are, of course, are an example of that. Yeah. But even from an economic standpoint, of course, you know, there were concessions, economic, uh, there were tariffs that were put on canola and, and a number of other things. Uh, I know that Canada right now is, is trying to cut a deal with Taiwan and talking about developing stronger relationships. Uh, there's an ad, a huge advantage to that, of course, because a lot of these microchips and electronics that we've talked about that are in short supply right now are manufactured there. Yeah. Uh, but China's – I get the sense, Elliot, that China's going to step in there and say, wait a second – that's us. China, we own Taiwan. You can't deal with them independently, even though they are members of the World Trade Organization. Uh, is China going to get tough about this and are they going to try to flex their muscle there? They
1: have been flexing their muscle and indeed they've been uh, sending wave after wave of fighter bombers and other and other uh, uh, aircraft into Taiwanese self-declared um, exclusion zone, a danger zone. No, the, Taiwan is very much under threat by China, and we're, I think there's excellent reason to think that Xi Jinping is, has it on his to-do list to, to say, I'm the best leader ever in Chinese modern history, even better than Mao, better than Deng Xiaoping. I will reunify. I will take over Taiwan. Their preparations are far advanced uh, to do so, uh, but clearly there's not a decision and the West is uh, saying, no, there's no way you can do that. We're going to stand uh, with Taiwan. No, Taiwan is... Is a very good case to keep an eye on as an indicator of what everybody is willing to do and able to do to assist uh, a different kind of China. Xi Jinping's China is a, as the phrase is, it's you know wolf warrior diplomacy. It's no longer bide your hide your strength and bide your time, as Deng Xiaoping said. Don't scare people as you grow. They're they're willing to scare people now. Starting with Taiwan, it's a if I'm you know. Professor looking around the world. One of the key flashpoints for me right now is China, Taiwan. We are very late in the game in my opinion in offering a FIPA and this this minimal guarantee uh of, of relation economic relationship because we have been concerned about not antagonizing China. We seem to be less concerned about antagonizing China as part of the broader picture of an emerging Indo Pacific strategy, not only by Canada, we are joining a global a Western strategy, Western including Japan in this case, uh, strategy to deal with an emergent China that wants to to, uh, say we're going to make the rules and the rest of the world is saying, no, we can't have that. We'll work with you. Um, But we can't have you taking over the South China Sea, militarizing and keeping us out. Canada sending ships, uh, for example, through the Taiwan Strait.
0: I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, the movie The Untouchables with Sean Connery and Kevin Costner when uh, Sean Connery the cop uh, says to Elliot Ness, what are you prepared to do about it? Because I think that's the question Taiwan is asking right now. And it's not unlike what's going on with Ukraine on the other side of the world, yes. uh, where the Russians are back along the border right now and threatening. And the United States is saying, we got your back. Well, they're saying the same thing to Taiwan. And Taiwan's saying, what are you willing to do about it? How far are you willing to go? Because uh, you you don't want to step on the on the toes of the Chinese, but at the same time you've got to send a message. It seems as I'm not suggesting they were necessarily on a collision course, uh, but at some point the United States and, and for that matter, Canada are going to have to take a stand on this. They can't just say hey, wag their finger at them.
1: Yes, part of the Indo-Pacific strategy that was a great scoop by by the Globe and Mail uh, uh, correspondence how uh, the it's first detail they you know this has been in the works for at least since last april and very senior people are involved in it and making it happen so it's not a new uh, this is our mandate and we're going to invent it it's very far along about to be announced apparently but in that is um, is increasing our naval capacity for example to assist in in clearly in the south china sea and japan has an east china sea concern neither in the ukraine nor in Taiwan is there an ironclad guarantee by treaty to come to their defense. That's um, it's been left ambiguous by the United States uh, what, you know, to shape the behavior of China. Don't, don't, don't go after Taiwan, but to shape the behavior of Taiwan. This is historic now. This is the, what's been going on. Taiwan, don't, don't cross the line and declare independence. That would be a red line for China that China will react upon. And the same in Ukraine. There is no treaty obligation but there's a statement by the president of the United States we've got your back. So you want a nightmare scenario? Oh wow, Bill. Can you imagine what would happen if both Russia uh, on the one side goes ahead with their very well-planned invasion of Ukraine simultaneously and in cooperation with China actually acting militarily against Taiwan. What a scenario for a new novel. I hope not a reality. But the point of all this is we the United States is trying to reassert some leadership, and Canada has certainly been uh, expected to join in uh, with what to do about an emergent China, behaving as it does under Xi Jinping, uh, rather than um, his predecessors.
0: And and to that point, I mean, as you mentioned, Canada has already sent uh, ships over there and and been chastised by the Chinese government for doing that, suggesting that those are Chinese waters, when in fact they're international waters. Uh, and and you're right i don't want to see that worst case scenario developing and you're right it does sound something like a tom clancy novel uh but it's a reality that that exists right now i mean the russians are at the ukraine border again and uh, the chinese have already as you mentioned made some military incursions towards taiwan and simply said look it's kind of cute that you guys want to pretend you're your own country but if you ever start to act like it uh we're going to bring the hammer down i mean that seems to be the implied message here and, uh, you know, President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau and, and Macron and others are going to be put on the spot. And, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we, we're all watching to see just, OK, what are you going to do then?
1: Yes. Uh, and this is at a time when states are looking inward, Canada included, and certainly the U.S. States are looking inward because of Omicron, because of domestic concerns. How important are our international uh, matters? How much? Bandwidth, how much capacity, for example, does the United States currently have to take decisive action, even though it certainly has the military capacities, the cyber capacities, the intelligence security capacities to act? Um, the President of the United States is hemmed in right now at home, and that's going to get much worse as, as election time approaches. The world is looking for some leadership. This new Indo Pacific strategy is one key element. Because, as I say, it's not only our strategy. The Americans, uh, you probably saw, Bill, that uh, the new ambassador from the U.S. to Canada said, we're watching for action. No, no, he didn't say yeah. action. Policies uh, to match the words so, uh, regarding China. Uh, I would add to this, uh, as a longtime student and follower of the area, Canada has been very intermittent in its commitment to the region. It will say strong things and then attention to diverse elsewhere, of course, the U.S., pool is gravitational pull is so strong, and of course the historic ties with, with uh, Europe are very strong. I'm what I'm looking for now is, uh, and what I'm hoping for is a permanent, dedicated, not just through this Indo-Pacific strategy framework, an actual set of commitments to Asia that anchors us in the region because we are in a Pacific, Asian country, uh, sure. not only in terms of where we are geographically, but also in terms of our immigration patterns. You know, Chinese is the third largest uh, language after French and after English and French in Canada. So uh, Mandarin. So we are an Asia Pacific country. We are an Indo-Pacific country. Uh, we need to act like one. And we now apparently have a framework within which we can do so if we follow through.
0: Well, and that's going to be the key, if. Uh, We'll see how this develops. Elliot, great to get your perspective on this. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Looking forward to it. Take care. Elliot Tepper, of course, from Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.